What's up everybody? Welcome to Modern Guilt. Thank you for checking back in again, or if you're a first-time listener who has, by some twist of nature, been recommended the pod, or by some even more bizarre twist of nature, you somehow stumbled across us on Google where our SEO ranking among podcasts is like 25,000th in the world, (laughs) then (laughs) what's up and thank you. We're recording... what is today? On a Monday, it's uh, around 1 p.m. I'm sitting in a dark air-conditioned room. How, wh- how's the climate in your spot, Damon? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's hot as fuck and I blacked out everything, so I'm also sitting in a dark room drinking coffee. Chilling, uh, enjoying a, the end of the year. natural state. Yeah. Yeah, it is nearly the end of the year. It's the, what is the date? Something of November near the end. The 23rd of November. Um, when did we release our first episode? Um, I don't know. Let's I just closed all those tabs. So <laughs> the twenty first of May. Um, huh. we've been doing the podcast for over six months now. So uh, there you go. We're half a year old. If we were a baby, we would be sitting up. I think. Yeah, spewing our first words. That's crazy. Far out. Well, time flies yeah. when you're it having does. fun. When you're yeah, when you're doing deep dives into some of the the bleakest content available on the internet. (laughs) What else do you go on the internet for, though? Yeah, it's true. You don't go on there for uh, good news. Yeah, Sydney Powell knows. I saw she just got kicked out of the Trump campaign, which is pretty funny. Yeah, I saw her as well. I didn't didn't read into it. I just caught the headline. People are suspecting that she is, like, browsing internet forms to get the majority of her, uh, like... The majority of her ideas, which is pretty funny. And that's like not anyone that's like Tim Pool, who's not a right wing sympathizer by any means, but is certainly, you know, reasonably objective, mm. I feel. And he was like, that's... I think Sidney Powell's browsing too many online forums. So, you know. <laughs> there are pretty good ideas in online forums, mm. uh, depending on the forum, I suppose. She's um, obviously on HN and just like getting yeah. real murky down into like. Some... Yeah, yeah, some some red pills grim shit okay well more power to her i'm sure she'll find some sort of decent job uh as a non-member of the trump team but (laughs) shout out (laughs) (laughs) so earlier today um i came across this news story and i need to quickly double check this motherfucker's name now um so yes came across a news story about uh kim han soul who is the nephew of Kim Jong-un, who has been abducted in Taiwan and is now in uh, CIA protective custody. So this guy's father, um, Kim Jong-nam, was recently assassinated in Kuala Lumpur International Airport in 2018 by... um, who are suspected to be North Korean intelligence operatives. Um, he was killed using like a nerve agent in like a crowded airport terminal. Jesus. And and these four North Korean dudes who carried out the attack escaped and got back to North Korea. So there were two women who were implicated in the attack who were arrested, but were not charged with murder or anything. They were charged with lighter charges, something like accessory to harm with a weapon or something, because... Um, they were Vietnamese women who claimed that they had been recruited to participate in like a TV prank reality show. 
So they were tricked into helping murder this guy, allegedly. Um, so Kim Han Sol, the son of this dude who was murdered, um, he spent most of his life growing up overseas. Um, and at the time he was living in Macau in China and apparently used to live with like a constant police watch around his house. And then one day, not long after his father was murdered, he realized that this police watch was missing. So he was not being surveilled. And then he essentially freaked out and he contacted this dissident group that are based in North Korea, who he had previously formed ties with and said, hey, um, I'm not being protected or guarded right now. I think something's up. So they went and met him in Macau, took him to uh, Taiwan, and he was going to get on a plane and fly to Amsterdam where he was going to claim asylum. And he was intercepted and never made it there, like a rendition kind of deal. Um, at the time, no one knew where he was or what happened, but he recently apparently has sort of like resurfaced or the CIA have announced like, yeah, he's in our custody. Um, so at the time that his father was killed by these North Korean operatives, nobody really knew why or what the motivations were or even where the order came from. But the suspicion was, as you can imagine, that Kim Jong-un might have caught word of a threat to his rule from... Because um, his brother was actually older than him when their father appointed him as president. So there might have been some bad blood between them and he thought that he'd be better off just like capping him. Um, but interestingly, so Kim Han Sol, the, the nephew, was educated in Europe and he's 25 right now, like really young still. Yeah. And is like a really woke, interesting sort of like cosmopolitan guy who seems like really sort of self-aware and really politically aware and there is sort of speculation and there has been for a long time because he's actually the only male heir of the kim family at the moment yeah um because kim jong-un has no fucking kids which is weird you'd think that he would i mean he must be infertile because you would imagine that if there was any way for him to have a child he would have it um and continue on the family legacy yeah exactly yeah so is this guy meant to be like the heir to the I don't, I don't, it's not the throne, but I guess it is the throne. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's obviously only been two successions in their dynasty so far, and both times I've been passed down to a younger male in the same family. Um, what about the sister? Wouldn't she take the throne? Well. She looks like she wants it, man. Yeah, I think she'd like to, but, I mean, it, it's ultimately up to Kim Jong-un and maybe, uh, maybe in addition up to the military leaders in North Korea. Because I think they ultimately sort of hold the reins of power. Um, mm. Or you could reasonably suspect that. So there's speculation now that for whatever reason, the CIA have control of this young man. And uh, the reason being might be that they feel as though they hold the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, which is a fucking horrible situation to be in as a 25-year-old young man. Um You've found yourself as a as a pawn and a sort of like uh, a treasure of international intrigue. Oh, so, well, yeah. your life's kind of shitty from the get go because you're in that family, you know, like and yeah. OK, bountiful riches and shit, I'm sure is attractive, but um, that would be horrible. I can't imagine anything worse than having to like take 
control over the you know North Korean um, country and lead it. God yeah. damn, that would be so well, shit. Can you imagine that? Like, oh, Hayden, you, this is just your destiny. You got to take over North Korea, and and mm. one day it'll be yours to run. Like, yeah, that'd suck. Would you well, want to do that? It's interesting that this has popped up because a few episodes ago we like randomly walked into this conversation about this kind of mm. like just we weren't following much of a structure and we just brought it up um and yeah it would be like an insane challenge mm. um you would you'd be in constant fear for your life you would be trying to combat threats left right and center you would be paranoid and even if you were a really considerate and loving and empathetic person you would still have to do some horrendous things in order to ultimately probably do the, the greatest moral good um you'd almost be forced into this sort of like utilitarian stance well let's say you take control right mm-hmm. um you can't exactly just lift the veal on the nation you'll get uh hung you know you'll get eaten like could you imagine if you were like all right uh free access to information and um i'm going to be a benevolent dictator and uh everybody has you know an internet connection now and then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden the mystery of you know the the propagandas dissipates and they see the reality of what they're living in compared to the rest of the world there would be a fucking coup man like you would absolutely be hung at the cross well, I guess it depends on what you can deliver, right? Yeah, but could I feel like people would just be so angry at the last, you know, the fact that they've lived under this dynasty. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people in North Korea know what they're in. I think they're aware because information leaks in um, and there are dissident groups who try and make contact with the outside world and stuff. Um, I think they understand that they've got a pretty shitty deal. So... I mean, I've seen in a lot I of the Vice could... documentaries and stuff that they've said um, large amounts of them are pretty unaware. And it's sort of, you know, you're just plugged 24-7 with North Korea is the greatest. Um, mm. You know, at least, well, that's the Vice take on it. So, you know, who, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I think al- almost similar to what we were talking about in the last episode, actually, though, like I think people have a feeling. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. I think if you went to the average North Korean and you were like, hey, man, like, how's life? Or what's the deal here? Say like, oh yeah, well, like we're really lucky to be led by Kim Jong Un, who loves us deeply, and the rest of the world's conspiring to uh, have us all killed or to starve us. But like, something's a bit fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think if they were going to be honest, uh, and the problem is like they can't actually express their real thoughts. So um, I know a guy actually who I used to work with who went to North Korea, and like I've had a couple of long conversations with him about this. And um, he went on a tour that left from like a city in northern China uh, and you basically pay and obviously get like a guided tour around um, and the whole time you're accompanied by like North Korean uh, government officials. And before they left China, the guide said to them, like, don't even ask a local person a question because by asking them a question, you give them the opportunity to consider whether or not they want to tell the truth. And that consideration is ultimately the difference between life and death for them and if that person's just having a weird day and for some reason they decide like you know i'm just going to fucking speak my mind like you are the reason that they end up dying because you asked the question so like it could have been a similar thing with these 
vice crews when they go in. I'm sure they have smarter, more sophisticated ways of getting information than just Probably like not. your every. <laughs> yeah. Does it suck living well, in North yeah. Korea, bro? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of North Koreans have an inkling that something's a bit fucked up, but they just can't express it. Mm. Um, but I mean, we're talking in like hypotheticals that we know nothing about right now. So um, that's sort of what we specialize in. <laughs> no, I, I, I'll give us a little bit more credit than that. We, we know our shit. We do a good job. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> from time to time. Well, it's pretty disgusting that they're doing that, uh, you know, but also it's sort of weird to think about, like, where do you place, um, you know, thoughts on North Korea because of obviously the horrendous stories that come out of there and what they're doing, you know, to the people there. So, yeah, um, but fuck the CIA. They, I mean, yeah, I w- whatever the case, I kind of feel that like. American democracy has been such a dramatic failure everywhere it goes. Like, you know, I'm willing to be proven wrong on that, but I can't think of one example where I'm like, yeah, that worked well. It really worked with them going in there and like, you know, instituting their freedom for the betterment of that particular country. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I can't think of any example either. I think mm. all they do is, you know, lay lay destruction and undermine uh, the best interests of the people in whichever country they choose to meddle. Um, and speaking of which... Speaking of... Yeah, I believe you might have something to say about that. I do. <laughs> so I'm a little, like... So I, I found a couple things um, after our last pod, and I was like, oh, man, this is going to be really good, and I dove into it and read all about it. And then with the news cycle and everything that's been going on, I've just been like, oh, my God, I'm so like, I don't know, just uh, there's like a there's a particular emotion I'm trying to search for the name of um, that. It's it's got to be something involving like futility. It's just uh, futility in the sense that I just can't see like any way out of um, the systems that are in place and, mm-hmm. and that like they're is just so much corruption man around so anyway um there's my bleak little intro bleak little intro into this bleak little topic so 1964 uh the u.s government and the u.s army set up this project called project camelot and its long title was essentially called methods for predicting and influencing social change and internal war potential so uh that's a fucking mouthful man guess where that's going <laughs> yeah i mean it sounds great <laughs> yeah so it was essentially around like um enhancing the army's ability to cause havoc in foreign countries um by causing social destruction and the whole motive was uh if the u.s army is to perform effectively in part in its U.S. missions of counterinsurgency, it must recognize the insurgency represents a breakdown of social order and the social processes involved must be understood. So that was sort of like the overall mission um, of it. So uh, it was canceled in 1965, but I effectively just sort of like renamed it and continued the um, the whole thing. Mm. Um, so which you sort is, of, which is apparently a pretty common method for... Um, 
those sorts of covert operations like they get kind of blown open or they receive enough scrutiny from third parties that they kind of pretend to concede and they're like yeah yeah you're right um we're gonna mm. we'll shut it down and then they sort of just di divert the funds to something similar or like parallel in a different department with a different name and run by someone different but it like has the same purpose that's exactly it and and that's exactly what happened was sort of like people had gotten wind of it and there was like wow this is really outrageous you're effectively talking about um causing social disruption to you know uh cause a counterinsurgency you know and and that's highly unethical they're like wow you're right better cancel project camelot how could that ever be used for good oh my me and so they just fucking cancel it and put it under a different name and make sure that the next group of people will shut the fuck up and don't go around, uh, you know, speaking ill of their um, disgusting fucking programs. So anyway, one of the outcomes of this program was uh, called Politica, which was a computer program that was essentially designed to reproduce um, the role of lots of different actors arguing and uh, getting shitty with each other. Mm -hmm. So reading it out. So it was designed to reproduce the role of military and other factions in politics and economic dynamics of a nation by structuring the roles of major national actors and groups, placing them in conflict or cooperation in a game environment and identifying from the resulting interaction, the societal and human variables relevant to the study of incipient insurgency by sequential search of various patterns of variables under various initial conditions, the game is designed to highlight these variables uh, decisive for the description, indication, prediction, and control of internal revolutionary conflict. So they essentially created a fucking system to cause like anger and upheaval within a society, you know. And this was all back in 1965. Now, it was used um, apparently uh, in... A U.S.-backed coup d'etat on, um, let me make sure I get this right, in Chile in 1973. So not only was this thing created, but it was effectively already, like, you know, working. And so, you know, inputs to the program included a list of 40 groups of variables, such as popular trust in institutions, cultural values, paranoia, hostility towards outsiders, attitudes towards change, institutional alignments, and other such analytical concepts. So you can get like a fucking pretty like you know big picture of one of the major things that they're working on, um, and see how this obviously could be used for ill and has already been used to destabilize, um, you know, countries. So they they uh, the commentary on it was effectively likening it to um, the Manhattan Project, which led to it being shut down in 1965, but also you know it would have just like moved underground. So people were yeah, saying right. that this is like the social science nuclear bomb is getting oh, that's lots a good of, analogy yeah man getting lots of angry actors uh fighting each other flooding a system with them and then you know it just becomes total chaos and then you get revolution um so that's one of the first things that i read into this and i was like wow that is fucking horrendous and you can't help but feel like wow i wonder if twitter's like that or maybe social media but then I remember, yeah. you know, how um, honest acting all these institutions are. There's no way that they would be, <laughs> <laughs> no way that they'd be doing that. And Zuckerberg already testified against Congress, so it's all good. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's this other fucking article that came out, and this was like really kind of fucked my weekend because uh, I read this and I was like, 
just like couldn't believe it, man. It's just outrageous. Um, the USA Department back in 2014 created a Twitter clone called Zunzio to destabilize and Cuba. Fuck off with that terrible name too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Zunzio. Well, okay, so maybe be, in Spanish it sounds better. Well, no, it's just, it probably sounds the same. And it's like what it fucking means is um, it's like the hummingbird. So you know, like Twitter is like the right, bird yeah, thingy. Yeah. yeah, and so obviously like some fucking government shill program because they're like, oh, <laughs> we'll use how the- smart. Yeah, yeah, it's a reference. Yeah. yeah. Um. So this absolute monster of a human being, Joe McSpeeden. Uh. You know, well, you guys make up your own mind about him. I already made up mine. Uh, flew to Spain to basically with a proposal to create a Twitter clone to destabilize Cuba. Uh, Cuba. Um, so the plan was to create this system that was essentially like, you know, the same as Twitter, uh, you know, sending short messages and doing microblogging. Fill it with commentary on sports and relevant topics. Uh, as well as putting in fake ads to make it seem like a legitimate business. And then later introducing political content to create smart mobs um, that would then rise and, you know, cause revolutionary conflict. And can I just ask yeah. for a second, why did he go to Spain first? I don't know. I don't think they wanted to do it within the United States. Um, there's like a lot of. Right you know, CIA programs that are outside of the States because I think that they don't have the judicial oversight. It's like Guantanamo Bay, Okay, yeah, that makes sense. You can't do torture on US land, so they just fucking take you in a black hood to somewhere else. Or Mm -hmm. like MKUltra was all done in Canada. Again, MKUltra episode coming soon. Maybe in our first bonus pod. But more about that later. (laughs) So, um, all right. So, they... uh, This story was broke by the Associated Press, who... Um, also said that at its peak, it had 40,000 users. So it was fully made, instituted, and was working. Um, the USA documents that the, USA, the Associated Press got said that their strategic objective was to push Cuba out of a stalemate through tactical and temporary initiatives and get them moving towards a democratic change, right? So they're effectively uh-huh. just going to swamp it with people, um, you know, all being like, democracy now in Cuba, uh, and cause like a revolutionary upheaval. On the one side, they, so, so basically they started categorizing people who were using the system into like, kind of like lay people that just sort of wanted to micro blog about bullshit. Uh-huh. And then uh, hardcore, aggressive political types, which they called Talibans or Talibans. Um, <laughs> and, you know, as an obvious reference to the Taliban in uh, Afghanistan. And those are the people that they're going to be really targeting to create the social upheaval um, and then just firing political content at them. So they launched a sort of prototype. Uh, so the system was already up and running. It was running very successfully. They're contracting out to a um, some creative agency based out of Spain that had built the whole thing, and they were running it out of a shell company that was just had funding coming from USA. But no one really knew who was backing it. They just kind of knew that there was like, oh, this miscellaneous shell company uh, wants to create a Twitter clone in Cuba. Um, you guys need to build that for us. So, <laughs> so <laughs> like, that's what they were doing. Yeah. Um, so basically there's like money coming out of nowhere and they were targeted. So this big concert was coming up in Cuba and they were saying, okay, this is going to be a chance to try and create some sort of, you know, like a trial spark and see what we can do. Um, right. So they- like the, the equivalent of like a, the first trending hashtag or something on the platform, like 
Pretty much, yeah. So they got yeah. the satirical artist uh, to start making polls about whether or not people agreed with the government. And apparently they had, like, it went wild, and they had, like, over 100,000 responses, um, you know, and all of a sudden were able to, like, fully get a picture of who was using Zunzio in terms of, you know, what their age was, their sex was, uh, what their political alignment was and everything. So they were really starting to build this map up that they could then start targeting everything. Um, but the problem became like uh, really apparent in the fact that they got way too successful for the platforms. The whole thing was they were trying to ride under the radar because they didn't want Cuban officials to come in and be like, oh, guys, what the fuck? Like, you know, this is yeah. uh, subverting Cuban, um, you know, authoritarian power. Um, but people loved it, man. So they just kept fucking signing up. So they tried capping That's the subscribers, so funny. but it didn't work. <laughs> they, like, accidentally <laughs> built the best startup ever. <laughs> yeah, no, they did. They totally <laughs> fucking did. So it actually got too successful. And the creative agency was like, what the fuck? Like, we can't handle this because, you know, we don't have the infrastructure. Um, and USAID was getting really sketched out. So they effectively said, this entire thing is a success. Um, we can definitely destabilize Cuba only if it remains a secret that it's not U.S. backed, you know, because if it's yeah. U.S. backed, everyone's going to be like, oh, well, fuck. Of course. Like, um, so they, they kind of like just cut funding and then immediately it just went away. And like people tried to go access the fucking site and it was just it just redirected to domain like, a, you know, buy this domain for three hundred dollars. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was it. And it just disappeared. And so, and then the Associated Press broke the story and it was, you know, back in 2014, I guess it flew under the radar. Um, they said the Obama administration uh, would not comment on whether or not they were aware of this program. So they obviously were because, you yeah. know, otherwise they'd deny it. Like it's, yeah. it's a horrendous thing that they've done. And they... Obama was probably sitting at home fucking jer jacking off over it. Oh, he would have just been shitposting, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think Fidel's a fucking loser. Like, <laughs> so the great irony of all of this that springs to mind for me, particularly as you mentioned, they were categorizing people and putting them in boxes and figuring out who could be uh, politically charged and who was a user who was more likely to just be using it for sort of like sports and music content or whatever. Mm. Is that that's exactly the same approach that Cambridge Analytica used for the 2016 US election, which was apparently an international outrage and that uh, Russia for having, uh, I guess you could say, ambiguous ties to, you know, should have been condemned and punished. So it just like, as I'm sure our very, very, very intelligent listeners have concluded by themselves already, highlights like the gross hypocrisy of, you know, US... Um, foreign policy and just the way they interact with the world mm. yeah well it really does eh? and it's what you know um you could argue that the u.s got played on that and i always wonder you know well is this an effective indoctrination campaign or is it touching on a nerve within the people already um and that's one of the things that i'm never sure of uh because i I like to think that people are smart enough to, you know, mm. and, and this only sort of exacerbates things. But then reading all of this shit, I'm almost reconsidering my position on Cambridge Analytica because I've always sort of been historically of the viewpoint that it was kind of like Demcope, you know, and yeah. the fact that they lost 2016. And now I think, yeah. well, 
Maybe not. Maybe it really was a full-blown, you know, information warfare. Um, Or maybe it was just, you know, chaos. Yeah, well, I think the important... uh, uh, Well, there are two thoughts that I have. Firstly, I think that even if you were to take the position that Cambridge Analytica wasn't an effective tool and that it was just a a Democrat sort of um, crying to daddy deal after the election and they wanted someone to blame... The fact that internet usage is so, for lack of a better word, unsophisticated in Cuba, I think would leave the population far more susceptible to a scheme like this because you and I or the average US citizen has probably used 15 social media platforms in their lifetime and they're used to being bombarded by media from various sources. So when something like Cambridge Analytica starts funneling misinformation through Facebook in their direction, while there are some people who would be really susceptible to it, the majority of people, I think, would probably take it with a grain of salt. Mm. Whereas Cubans who are accessing social media for what might be their first time or don't like, they, they still have to go down to the internet cafe to jump on a computer and use it, you know, their, their whole perception of what the internet is and how you use it and engage with it would be so fresh and um, malleable. So... I think there's a pretty good chance that, yeah, this was pretty poignant or a potent tool. I guess it um, comes down to the fact, like, do you trust what you're seeing, you know? And mm. that's one of the things I always wonder about with um, what's happening a lot is I don't think many people sort of, well, I don't know, because I've been duped by fake news hard. Like after the mosque shooting, I remember coming across this meme that was trending on um, on uh, Twitter, I think it was. And it was like, oh, if you care about the 50 um, dead Muslims, but not the 160 dead Christians in Rwanda, or that no, wasn't Rwanda. It was, I think it was like the Democratic Congo or something. Then, yeah. you know, you're, you're heartless, you're, you're dick, or <laughs> like something yeah. to that effect. Um, and I was telling my, oh, I was chatting with a colleague uh, last year about it. Um, the colleague a friend <laughs> chatting with a mate about it and he was like nah 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 that's fucking bullshit like that whole thing was actually disproven he saw the same meme as well and what it turned out it was a christian backed organization had created it on some very loose information that over like a two or three year period there had been 160 christians killed by muslims yeah and right. um you know and again i think it was the congo uh, and it has all over land wars. It had nothing to do with religion. And it was a specifically created meme to um, play down the impact of the mosque attack. And I was fucking floored. I was like, oh, dude, that totally fucking got me. And yeah, I like, because I read it and I was like, oh, well, that's fair enough. You know, like maybe I'm, I guess I'm just a dumbass, but you know, that that's no, like no, one I of those things where it's just like, you know, yeah. I like to think that people are smart enough to um, consume content in a way that's not going to like, you know, dupe them. But I fucking dupe myself all the time. You know, mm. I um, encountered an interesting meme just last night, actually, like on Instagram. It was shared by some like, I don't know, alt-right person. I don't know. I can't remember. And but essentially it was like the point of it was basically saying like there's finally some meat and potatoes to the biden ukraine scandal uh because ukrainian officials have just held a press conference saying that um executives from uh 
Burismo, which I think is the name of that energy company that Hunter Biden was working for, have just testified in a Ukrainian court that X, Y, and Z did definitely happen. Um, and I was like, oh, holy shit, like, this is really interesting. And my first instinct was to, like, sort of believe it. And the only reason I Googled it was to get some more info because I wanted to know the full story. Mm. And then I quickly realized that it was, yeah, just complete misinformation and fake news or whatever you want to call it, propaganda. Yeah. Um, and it's, it just, it goes to show you how much there must be circulating and these fucking Russian dudes just being paid like five rubles an hour sitting in some <laughs> like warehouse in Siberia just churning out like trash memes, like, what a, what a fun what a job. life. Yeah, right? It'd be so good. <laughs> Dude, I'd take five rubles a fucking hour to like make destabilizing content. That's Yeah. And you, I bet you could do it remote as well. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're probably in, <laughs> in a beach in Phuket. Just like <laughs> making like fun like Pepe the Frog memes. <laughs> yeah. I already fuck, uh, I'm doing that shit for free. Um I should hit them up. <laughs> So I'll, yeah, I'm sure I'll make there's Biden positions look 30 available. years older. I'll make him look like he's 120. We'll start that fucking meme, you know? Yeah, I'm sure that people would latch onto that if you um, put out like a, a fake report or whatever. Mm. Um, people would love that. I think that speaks to another sort of like fascinating question as to earlier you said like, uh, what did you say? <laughs> I, I think you asked the question like, can people be in drug indoctrinated or do they have to have the the thought already in them and it just needs to be activated and so many people in the united states just have these dormant suspicions right now Mm. so that's why this sort of like outrageous bullshit works on them because everyone on the left and right is just like sniffing for something to grab onto that they can use as ammunition to point at the other side yeah pretty much right I, I, i don't even care if it's fucking real i just like the fact that like I just like the chaos. I get off on it. It's sick. It's mm-hmm. like like the mm-hmm. worst kind of porn you can fucking watch, you know. And it fills me with shame. But I'm just like, yeah, fuck yeah, yeah, more. Yeah, more well, chaos. it makes the world interesting, right? And it lets modern guilt uh, remain a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, this is you know on the subject of um, fake news. So the Associated Press tried to debunk the story. Um, and I think they did a fucking horrendously bad job of trying to debunk it. Uh, and they essentially were like, you know, the legality. Uh, so the Associated Press said that the legality of the entire program was unclear. Um, you don't say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, USAID works in places where we're not always welcome. Which is like immediately like, okay. Um, that doesn't sound fucking legal at all. To minimize the risk to our staff and partners, ensure that work can proceed safely, we must take certain precautions and maintain a discreet profile. But discreet does not equal covert. And it's just like, ah, oh, you fucking assholes. You're so full of shit. And what then, are they even trying to say by that? I don't get that. Well, it's just bullshit, man. Like, they're just trying to fucking absolve themselves of, like, of this nonsense. Um, they're like... The story stated at its peak, the project drew in more than 40,000 Cubans to share news and exchange opinions. The actual peak uh, was around 68,000 users. So, you know, cool, man. You were worse than we thought. Um, And like a whole bunch of other bullshit. Anyway, fuck those guys. Um, So last night I, or, you know, a month ago or so, I first caught wind of this 
situation that was happening in Bolivia. And it's funny because I actually first uh, was made aware of it because I was like reading about stocks. And <laughs> um, yeah. there was um, a drop in the uh, Tesla share price, which was related to the re-election of Bolivia's uh, most recent president, who is like a pretty sort of fervent socialist, Luis Arce, who is the leader of Bolivia's like socialist party. Mm. And the reason that the Tesla stock dropped is because Bolivia has the world's largest proven lithium reserves, which, uh, as people might be aware, is a fundamental uh, component in making uh, batteries, particularly for electric vehicles. So I thought that was really interesting and I kind of skipped over it though and was like, oh yeah, like file that in the memory banks. What a quirky little thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then I saw a couple more kind of like threads dangling in the internet relating to an attempted coup in Bolivia. And I was sort of thought to myself like, sorry, like there was no coup in Bolivia. Like I would would have heard about this like coups are big news stories and i'm really interested in geopolitics so like i would have expected myself to know um and so i start looking and found this really fascinating but shocking story so and glenn greenwald our boy uh formerly of the intercept and now an independent journalist um, as a reminder to the listener, he's most famous for uh, leaking the story with Edward Snowden of the NSA's programs for carrying out domestic surveillance on the United States' own citizens, um, had written a really great article about this. So essentially the story goes, and I'll try and summarize it as well as I can. Um, in 2006, Bolivia um, elect democratically elected a socialist president named uh, Evo Morales who was an indigenous Bolivian. Um, and Bolivia is interesting because it's, I believe, the only Latin American country where the majority of the population are, are indigenous Bolivians. And there's a, a slight minority of the population who are um, white European descended Christians. And for a long time, there had been a, a sort of monopoly on wealth and power in Bolivia on the part of these European Christian descended citizens who had oppressed the indigenous people, kept them poor, etc. I mean, the story is all too familiar, so I won't go into mm. the details. But basically, uh, Evo Morales was elected in 2006 on the back of like a socialist platform um, and had a lot of support in the rural areas of Bolivia where there were indigenous majorities compared to the urban centres, um, where, as you can imagine, the, the wealthier or more privileged white citizens tended to live. So he won... Uh, two terms then i believe he lost an election and then won a third um i'm actually going to fact check myself on that so uh, <laughs> it's all good because i don't i don't want to uh Do confuse or mislead people yeah um yeah this is a fact checked podcast you're getting only the facts from us well probably not <laughs> 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 we can do our best. Your only trusted news source in this trying time. Yeah. Uh, if we've learned anything uh, over the last few years, everybody, is that you should uh, form your own opinions. So, yeah, I, I was wrong. He um, served three consecutive terms and over that period basically gave Bolivia like the longest sustained run of stability and economic growth that it had ever experienced. Um, 
and he did that largely by implementing sort of like social democratic policies that were not necessarily anti-capitalist but just put the well-being of poor people first Um, and he was able to uh, reduce extreme poverty by 46 percent and uh just normal poverty, which mm. apparently there are arbitrary distinctions to define by 60% yeah. um, and grew this like sort of adoration amongst the people for him. Um, and it got to the point where even these wealthy, white, formerly more privileged Bolivians were able to come around and be like, well, you know what, he's actually doing a great job. We're still making money. He's, he's a boss, essentially. Um, so... Shit went down when he went to run for his fourth term. So um, there was some sort of technicality in the Bolivian constitution which um, prevents a president from running for a fourth term. So there was a legal challenge to determine whether or not he could legitimately run, which, as you can imagine, became a sort of political uh, division at the time. Um, I need some water. My mouth is dry as a bitch. Rip into it, mate. Mm. So the court... Uh, eventually found that, yes, he was uh, able to run legitimately. There was, so he runs and all the pre-polls suggest that he's going to win. Um, and then his uh, main opposition candidate, a woman named uh, Janine Anes, who was the leader of like a conservative right-wing party. Um, she was trailing by a, a small margin, right? And... Something similar to what happened in the United States recently happened where um, over a period of time, the votes had been counted and I think something like 84% of the votes were in and the margin was pretty slim. And then once all the votes came in, suddenly the margin jumped to around 10%, um, allowing Evo Morales to meet the threshold required to hold power. And immediately the um, Organization of American States which in, in Australia and New Zealand, I think we know very little about, um, but I'll explain them in a bit. They intervened uh, almost immediately and claimed that there had been some sort of election fraud and that Evo Morales and the socialists had uh, stolen the election and undermined Bolivian democracy and uh, represented a threat to the people there. So the organization of American states Essentially, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what sort of instrument they imposed this through, but they determined that he was uh, not able to be legitimately elected and that his um, main opponent, Janine Arnez, would take over as the interim president until there was a new election. So this happened near the end of 2019. And a warrant for uh, Morales' arrest was issued. His family were threatened with violence and whatnot, so he had to... Uh, fly to Mexico and claim asylum and essentially flee Bolivia. So in the aftermath of this, pro-Morales protesters went out into the streets and said, this is bullshit, like there's no no evidence of these fraudulent claims, rah, rah, rah. And the Bolivian military massacred dozens of demonstrators in the street and the caretaker president uh, turned around immediately and granted permanent immunity to the Bolivian military and police if they had um, crushed these demonstrators. So the rest of the Bolivian population realized, shit, these people can, uh, can kill without consequence. We can't really resist what's happening right now. 
and found no way to push back against their new president who hadn't won the election and wasn't even really going to come close. Mm. So the Organization of American States, who I mentioned earlier, as the organization who issued the report claiming uh, fraud on the part of Morales and the Socialist Party, are an American-backed and funded organization who's are based in D.C. and who are essentially like an arm of the U.S. State Department that they use to control policy in Latin America. And in the United States, the media talks about uh, this organization as if it's some sort of like neutral arbiter of fair values and that they help everybody get along in Latin America and make sure that there's no trouble. But if you talk to people in Bolivia and Latin America more broadly, um, there's almost like a unanimous consensus that this organization only exists to advance U.S. interests. And so it turns out that a couple of years prior to this election, the Morales government started making deals with Russia and China about um, foreign investment in their lithium industry. (laughs) Right, yeah. So the conspiratorial sort of like mind, the cogs start churning, and it starts to become pretty clear why um, this US coup was triggered. Um, So this caretaker president who was put in place was supposed to be only holding power for a short amount of time until there could be new elections held and uh, the socialists could run again because all they needed to do was ensure that there would be no fraud in this election. And in between now and then, uh, the pandemic struck, which provided the conservative government a perfect excuse to cancel the election and lock down society. So there was even more of a deterrent for any sort of uh, democratic protest or questioning of power. Um, So by this time, Evo Morales had uh, been granted asylum in Argentina where he was based. And um, he um, nominated uh, Luis Acre to run as uh, the socialist candidate uh, in his place because it was still not safe for him to run in Bolivia. Um, So in the lead up to their most recent election where the socialists won um scholars and neutral parties all over the world started releasing these reports uh debunking the organization of american states um report that they put out making claims of fraud and at the time when the the oas report came out uh all of the mainstream media institutions in the united states and even you know the supposedly woke ones like the atlantic and the new york times Um, published articles basically towing the line, completely pushing the the US message that this socialist government in Bolivia was a threat to their people, that they were (laughs) threatening democracy, and that by initiating this coup, the OAS and by extension the United States had like preserved freedom and democracy in Bolivia. Yeah, Um, they surely wouldn't do that with Afghanistan though. What do you mean, sorry? <laughs> They're doing the exact same fucking thing with Trump uh, withdrawing troops from Afghanistan, being like, oh, right, it's yeah. going to be horrible. Like, you know, yeah, oh, yeah, no, exactly. they need Americans there. And that every fucking moron with an opinion piece. Um, it's like, bitch, you fucking get over there with the gun 
and you go protect U.S. soil, you know, instead of seeing from the <laughs> yeah. Atlantic's fucking office being like, oh, I think it's a good thing that they're over there. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Carry on. No, no, don't be sorry at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, uh, well, I'll finish the narrative before and then we can talk about the yep. sort of implications. So basically this, enough of a consensus was built um, through the publication of all of these uh, neutral research reports and whatnot that enough pressure built that um, the caretaker government was forced to call a new election and the socialists won by a landslide and there's now been a peaceful transition of power um, again and it, I'm not sure if um, Evo Morales is going to be able to safely return to Bolivia. Unfortunately, probably not. I think there's always going to be people around who want to see him hurt now. Mm. But um, essentially, long story short, the United States got shitty because they couldn't deal Bolivia's lithium. <laughs> and instead, Bolivia chose to do business with the Russia and China, who they saw as uh, probably more honest actors. Um, and I imagine they believed that Russia and China had uh, more of a genuine interest in Bolivian economic development and independence. Um, you could say that that's because they wanted to undermine US influence in the region, but who wouldn't? Yeah, <laughs> right. So um, there was a coup to prevent the democratically elected indigenous socialist leader from taking power. Um, one year later, turns out that the US-backed organization that uh, carried out the coup was wrong and they were overturned and now everyone looks like fucking idiots and they were caught with their pants down. <laughs> yeah. But the the thing that I find the most interesting about it is not necessarily the the foreign policy angle because anybody could predict that the United States would meddle in another country's affair and I think it's almost been normalized as weird as that is. Um, <laughs> but the the thing that is is finicky but the most important i reckon is that it shows that mainstream media outlets like the new york times the washington post the atlantic you could continue on down the line and name them mm. they they pride themselves on uh supposedly representing these progressive ideals um as is obviously illustrated in like the recent election and their coverage of COVID and the black lives movement uh, Black Lives Matter movement. But when it comes down to the fucking brass tacks, they represent the status quo the and corporate interests. And they represent the, the motivations that are at the heart of the US government. Mm. Because any progressive media outlet would investigate those events. And if they supposedly did support real progressive left-wing ideals, they would side with um, a democratically elected leader who had done so much for his people and had actually pushed back against a, uh, a racist or inherently flawed United States as they've been peddling in their own articles. Yeah. So it highlights the hypocrisy in the media and it draws attention to the fact that because they're only putting out content that is in line with the interests of maintaining the corporate status quo and maintaining the seats of power for the people who hold it in the United States. That is why they've been publishing all this work bullshit. Oh yeah, of course. Like it, well, it's, mm. it's good for them, man. Like, uh, fundamentally the whole promotion of, um, the riots and the looting and everything that was happening in the States was absolutely within their favor. I feel, you know, like there was, 
a incentive there for them to play down what was actually happening and to describe it as peaceful um you know and you had that ridiculous image that was circling around the internet with the fucking cnn guy standing behind uh this building totally ablaze and the caption being like like, peaceful peaceful protest yeah fiery but mostly peaceful and you just think (laughs) the narrative's fucked but it what you're describing touches on something much darker than just hypocrisy it touches on the fact that there is like absolutely interests within them to um obfuscate the uh true reality of what's going on to spin it to whoever the shadow lobbyists are you know oh yeah absolutely and that's so Mm. much fucking darker and you can understand dealing with a known corrupt totalitarian state i would personally i think is much more preferable than dealing with like the fucking shadow uh lobbyists and shadow corporations that are currently running whatever the fuck the you know the 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 united states is yeah yeah yeah, whatever that Mm. is Uh, because look at the way they've acted between trying to destabilize countries and destabilizing them through uh setting up you know fucking twitter clones um, and, you know, that's like the USA department. Who the fuck knows what the CIA is involved with? Like the USA department? Yeah, that is the, you know? <laughs> another of the hilarious fucking ironies in that story, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, we're going to provide aid to the Cubans by uh, causing yeah. political dissidents. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's fucking mind-blowing. And, and just like thinking that, uh, yeah, the, the, the very idea that um, they are ill in cahoots is uh, and by they i mean the the media shadow organizations um you know and like dark corporate interests to fuck with other countries to get what they want is um miserable it's so fucking grim you just end up sitting here thinking like man i'm just a little pawn in all of this you know and and these interests yeah yeah but it's another Um, thing that i found bizarre is so the Hunter Biden story, let's pretend that it's true for a moment, right? Yeah, sure. The payout that I understand he got was around three and a half million, if I understand the story correctly, right? Uh, I don't know. Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, don't know. Um, I understand it to be around a seven-figure sum. Um, might be a little bigger than that. Mm-hmm. That's fucking nothing. I, I don't think these people are very well paid. This is like one of the things that is blowing my mind about all of this is... Uh, there's obvious political agendas here that are being enacted by the state, you know, to mm-hmm. destabilize countries. And whether that's for an ideological purpose, like, oh, let's bring democracy to, to Cuba, or whether it's like um, someone tapping there on the shoulder to be like, hey, I really need to, uh, that oil in Cuba with the, the fucking minerals or resources or whatever the, whatever the fuck they think is valuable in Cuba. Um, you really need to go in there and destabilize it so then I can have access. And for that, I will ensure that you are going to get funding it's just like hillsong you know like fucking with uh (laughs) you know and and like those are the sort of murky interests but the prizes that they're fighting over just really low um because you think jeff bezos is closing in on being worth 200 billion dollars again you know yeah bill gates 100 and whatever billion elon's now around 100 billion work like their wealth is so beyond these stupid little prizes that the worrying thing where i'm trying to get to with all of this is it's kind of frightening to think about how low you have to pay these motherfuckers to commit murder and how much money uh the fucking oligarchs actually have you know that yeah yeah you're right yeah that if you can pay the biden 
family and let's all assume that that story's true yeah um, yeah allegedly three and a half mil dude bezos fucking pisses on three and a half mil and then flushes it down the toilet like he probably just like smears it all over the walls and then forgets about his three and a half mil on a fucking daily you know like that he doesn't care about three and a half mil <laughs> yeah and if it's no, like I, I get bro, it bro i need bolivia uh here's like you know here's seven figures i just found it under my fucking drawer you know like man they can run the world eh? so oh absolutely and i mean and they do right mm. <laughs> that's the thing um yeah and uh, it uh speaks to the sort of the way that uh you can leverage a power imbalance right mm. like the fact that um people in government or people who are making decisions on behalf of the state are um selling their their dignity or selling the well-being of whole populations for so little just shows that these corporations have more than just the ability to pay them to do it they they hold the the cards mm. you know they they have the their hands on the controls they fucking do what they want yeah we had a incident here with this wealthy um i think it was to be chinese citizen uh basically buying residency uh for something like 50 grand he like donated to the national party fifty thousand dollars that might be a, it's basically around a five-figure sum and i can fact check myself later but you know i'm not going to um yeah yeah <laughs> but essentially it was a tiny amount and he was granted residency and you think like that's all it takes jesus fucking christ that's absolutely nothing like yeah you know, democracy for sale at discount bargain prices you know this is like yeah the, the same thing has happened uh at the state government or even council level in brisbane and queensland like you hear about the um the major parties taking corporate donations from property developers and whatnot and you know mining giants and it's like the total pool of donations that these parties receive is like in the low millions mm. like seven million or something yeah like and that's probably i imagine if i remember correctly that's like pushing it it's i think it was more like three or four million mm. um and yeah it's it's fucking nothing and it it makes me wonder if the the real prize for a lot of these sort of pathetic politicians and and uh people in government or policy roles is to brush shoulders with people who they think are more important than themselves well that's it you always think that it's like oh you know president of the united states must be the most powerful figure um but he's really not like at all like not even fucking close man you know because like Otherwise, why would they need such shitty prizes? I mean, like, there's like a, a long history of politicians, you know, sort of being swayed by um, corporate figures and corporate interests uh, that you can only imagine would again be the real players in the game pushing and pulling the strings. And, you know, the chance to like, you know, fucking suck Bezos's dick is just more attractive than um, enacting good policy and serving your citizens. Mm. I here's a a sort of counter or a devil's advocate question mm. I just thought of in relation to this. So I think that there's a a possibility possibility that politicians might think along these lines that I'm about to describe. So if if you understand that ultimately government is pretty weak, um, your ability to deliver meaningful structural and economic changes is 
is weak. Your ability to, to offer people sort of more than just above the poverty line levels of welfare is, you know, you're hamstrung essentially. There's not that much you can do to improve the lives of everyday people from a position of government. It's unfortunately, it's just the reality because we have 40 years of history showing us that. Mm. Um, so if you're in power and you come to that realization and you accept that as a truth, the next best option is maybe to hope that corporations and big business and the market will provide for people in a way that it hasn't yet, but you place hope in it that if you grease the right palms, you try your best to keep the right people happy, then eventually they're going to make some decisions that fall uh, on the side of the general population. Do you know what I'm saying? I agree with you. I actually think that's mm. how it works. Because, I mean, if you look yeah. at it, if you remember that whole New York debacle where Amazon was basically like um, trying to get each of the fucking governors of each state to simp for it to like get their second HQ in, yeah, right. um, yeah. in the States. That's mm -hmm. exactly what they did is they effectively had, you know, I think it was like, I can't remember if it was North Carolina or it was like some like fucking. Yeah, I think it was dude. North Carolina. Yeah, there was someone who was like, oh, we really want it here. And, you know, we'll basically do anything. Um, and just gave them like, a fucking massive tax break. Hey. Yeah, man. Yeah, they effectively would get like no taxes. And he was they're just stoked on the fact that, you know, 20,000 high paying jobs or maybe it was 10,000 high paying jobs, you know, yeah. and that might attract other because, you know, wherever Amazon is, um, there's additional uh, fungus growing around yeah. it to serve yeah, well, its like supplemental services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that has a flow on effect. And maybe that will help lift the town that they actually care about out of the, um, out of where it is and i'm sure that that happens across every single scale like i'm sure that that's exactly what the politicians were doing when they you know wanted to reinstate um or, or sorry when they're doing the uh, bullshit in bolivia it was the same thing right like they're acting you know air quotes in the best interests but also not because they're just trying to they're yeah they're they're making the the faustian bargain um mm. do you think that uh, maybe it's like a chicken or the egg thing, right? But do you think that these people genuinely believe that or they trick themselves into believing it? They trick As them. in like they, they carry out the act and then they justify it retroactively and that theory or that set of ideas is sort of just present for them to grab hold of? I am confident that the wisdom of Adi, the multi-serial murderer in um, Indonesia who carried out the communist killings holds true in this domain. Um, and he essentially said, you know, the winners decide what was history and you will always, uh, you know, justify it to yourself no matter what. And that's coming from a man that murdered thousands of communists. You know, mm -hmm. I am so sure that that's what they're doing. Of course they are. Like they're not sitting there cackling away and, you know, like, ha 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 more money and power for all of us like no no way they're going home and they're sleeping very well at the thought of the fact that they think that they've done something good even if it meant that they had to do the wrong thing a couple times you know mm. it's really interesting what what humans can moralize huh yeah man yeah well and like fucking we all do it it's just like not all of us have access to military power you know and like widespread disinformation campaigns and shit 
like everybody, you know, like I'm pretty sure that I justify not paying for parking all the fucking time. <laughs> what is your I mean, justification for not paying for parking? Well, because I don't want to. And like <laughs> my money, I know how to spend my money better than the fucking city council. No, I understand <laughs> that. Come after me. I, I just wanted to hear you say it. <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, the fact is, is like I'm sure that the argument could go that that money's going to get put back into poor communities and, you know, maybe it'll help with roads and housing and shit like that. Oh, but uh, I see it as a theft on my... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll go to uh, go to subsidizing property developers. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm too scared to not pay for parking, man. I've been burned too many times now. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I, I've been fucked by it as well, you know, but... Uh, <sighs> I'm a fucking criminal, ah, I say. What a fucking <laughs> savage world we live in, man. It's scale, eh? It's all scale, man. The fact is, it's yeah, like, fully. I, I think that's a lot of what it comes down to is like, you know, we, we all like to think that we um, would act th- w- the best way we could in those positions. But just like at the start of the episode, when I asked you, you know, like, well, what would you do if you're running North Korea? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like the very real threat at being uh, hung at the fucking cross would make me wonder like, well, shit, how do you even manage a situation like that? Like if, if your father had committed a heinous crime and, and for the sake of the argument, we'll say indoctrinated the nation and you are aware of it, what would you do to try and open it up in a way that isn't gonna, you know, fucking kill you or or you know like people would just be so mad so angry i want to know what to do or in these other positions you know it's it's very confusing that doesn't absolve them of what they've done though like they that's Mm. just trying to understand where they're coming from i still think they're like a moral uh massive pieces of shit um you know and no matter what fucking you know like interfering with bolivia and uh, trying to create a Twitter clone to destabilize Cuba, no matter what or where you think your intentions are. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, nah. You can't. That's, that's fucked. Like, you know, mm. you're a mega piece of shit. Yeah, man. The, um, the relativity of morals I've, I've been finding really interesting lately. I have listened to the Lix Friedman podcast. Have you ever listened to his podcast? Yeah. Yeah, really good, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. So I listened to the episode. Well, actually, I'm still listening to it. But listening to the episode where he had Dan Carlin on. Have you heard this one? No. No, no, no. That's cool. I like Dan Carlin so, a lot. Um, so. Yeah, Dan Carlin's incredible. So like to the listeners, if um, you're unaware, Dan Carlin is, um, in my opinion, probably like the greatest history podcaster in the Mm. world um he has a show called hardcore history where he does sort of like five hour long deep dives into i mean even longer than that actually so he he'll do a series of episodes which can be each be say three to five hours long uh, on a particular uh narrative from throughout history and he'll end up doing like 15 to 20 hours just on one facet of history like uh the western front and world war one for example so anyway lix friedman had him on his podcast and lix friedman is really interesting in the sense that he was born in the soviet union uh and moved to the to the united states at the age of 13 and then after having moved to the united states he was able to uh, form an appreciation for American values and the Constitution and liberty and individualism and all of that. And so now as an adult, he holds those true to his, or close to his heart. Mm. But 
he is still able to remember the love that he felt for the Soviet Union when he had been sort of propagandized as a child. And the way that he's able to still place himself in the mind of either the people or the leaders of the Soviet Union or now modern Russia is really fascinating and it's a cool insight. And one of the things he described was that his uh, family back in Russia pretty much unanimously loves Vladimir Putin. And mm. this is a, a suspicion that I've personally had that I, I just a feeling I not based on much, but I have always thought that a lot of people in Russia probably fucking love Vladimir Putin because they would see the United States and the rest of the West as these meddling devils. And Vladimir Putin is the thing strong enough to hold, to stand between uh, these enemies and, and Russia's destruction or mm. uh, enslavement to these foreign interests. And what a lot of people in Russia believe or identify is that the level of corruption that tends to uh, tends to come out of the woodwork in Russian society as almost a, an inherent cultural thing is so great that Vladimir Putin has been one of the few men possible to to wrangle the country towards a direction where he's barely holding it together but it's working and that even though Vladimir Putin runs the country like an autocrat and there probably aren't free elections, they would still probably prefer him to run it that way than for a vacuum of power to emerge and then to have to confront the unknown. Mm. Um, and I thought that was just such a cool exercise in moral relativity and caused me to really think about, you know, trying to, trying to celebrate these brilliant men a little bit more. Oh, yeah, because totally. Like, we're all aware of the crimes that the Russian government commits both against its own people and against foreigners. Uh, Vladimir Putin probably has blood on his hands personally. He was a former KGB agent, for fuck's sake. But, like, yeah. he's, he's no less immoral or no more moral than Obama, you know? Uh, man, I just fucking hate, like his administration I, I think like it's so much worse than so many people give it you know like every, everyone seems to think like oh he was so good and charismatic um and it's just like yeah but look at everything that he's done during it you know yeah and, and like um you know watch obama spend eight years doing barely anything to improve the lives of black people yeah how about that <laughs> yeah yeah totally what changed oh well and yeah, that's like one of the minor things. Like he exactly like he fucking fucking black people. What about how he uh, changed the lives of uh, brown people in Pakistan and fucking yeah. you know like that? That's my point, right? So yeah. like, there are so many things that you can point at um, in the Obama administration that are just such abhorrent disasters hmm. that it's easy to overlook the fact that he was the first black president in history to do nothing for black people. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And it's such a token <laughs> like, thing as well. It's like, you know, so pointless and meaningless as a gesture of yeah. uh, somehow being woke, you know. Well, but, I suppose it's it's maybe difficult to quantify and I can't put myself in the shoes of an African-American person, but you could you could argue, make the argument, and I understand it, that having a black president is inspiring. Um, you know, there's that whole idea that 
there's no limit to what you can achieve regardless of your background and where you came mm. from and yeah how the rest of the world sees you which is cool like i i appreciate him for that um and i appreciate the i appreciate the narrative that he gives people um reg- regardless of whether or not it's dishonest um, yeah it would be nice I, if it didn't come at such a cost you know of, exactly like, yeah uh, everything that happened during that period but whatever you know but yeah i i fuck i see where you're going with putin um and that's that is an interesting line and it it's always going to be way more complex you know like um fascist fascist uh <laughs> authoritarian regimes um have been the most radical and transformative you know like that's yeah, why china true. grew so much that's why singapore yeah. is as rich as it was south korea back in the 80s was written off as a failed state it was yeah. meant to be as basically they're like nah it's fucked just write it off you know <laughs> yeah, it's fucked put it put it on put like it, put the fucking africa it. list yeah yeah <laughs> um they had a general take control and basically say we're completely transforming it we're gonna have uh corporations that collude with each other and do like insider trading basically and it's just gonna be this fucking wild shit and they legit went to companies and they're like you build cars now you are a car company go build a fucking car and we're gonna sell it to the states you know i yeah um that also could be me totally fucking up what in, what country I'm talking about, but <laughs> I don't know if they build cars. Uh, I think they. Had, well, uh, what you're describing Hyundai is Korean, is so you cool. got that Sweet. right I at least. Get it right. Yeah. But um, yeah. What you're describing sounded to me like um similar to what happened in Japan following like the oh it is Second World yeah, War. Yeah, yeah, it's a similar model because they effectively yeah. had military regimes just you know dictate what was going to happen and yeah. you know all the freedom loving uh f- fucking you know people out there would shriek in terror at the idea of a military regime but i mean they've been successful and and the people yeah. love them man people love lee kwang pyu and they love the ccp you know because mm-hmm. they've gone from being poor to not being poor you know to like eating and living well and it's like, I think 99% of people just want to live their life, not care about what's happening and just kind of go about the daily business because, you know, that exactly. shit doesn't concern them. And I think it's it's almost, and I understand that this is a stretch, but this is, this is something I haven't thought out before. So I'm just going to sort of think as I speak. Okay. It's almost a little bit arrogant to presume that you're important enough to live your life by a particular set of moral ideals beyond the idea that you shouldn't inflict harm on other people. Mm. Like to to think that your morality is important enough that you should try and impose that on other people, which is what has happened in the West and is what a lot of quote cultural elites in the West are doing at the moment is, is unusual to me. Mm. Like, and this might be a strange analogy, but I was actually talking to Francisca yesterday about yep. <laughs> the fact that, like, sometimes I am viewed as selfish because I don't engage with or interact with other people and or I can be seen as a prick because I prefer to sit in silence than have a conversation or impose myself upon another group of people in the same room. Mm. But I view it as the ultimate act of selfishness to presume that I'm important enough to initiate a conversation with that person based on zero evidence. Like, I think the, the ultimate respect 
I am paying to that person is to give them the choice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, no, no. I hear you. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And that relinquishing of control relates to another idea that Lex Friedman was suggesting or explaining. And he was saying that in the East, we know about China, but he said the same thing happens to an extent in Russia, is that the letting go of the idea that you as an individual are important and that everything you do should benefit the collective and the state is in itself its own form of liberty and freedom because you you surrender yourself to the will of the apparatus that you are all a part of Hmm. and you place your faith in the state the same way that in the west people place their faith in god and you tell yourself what i want to do in my life is empower the thing that i am a part of the most that i possibly can even if that comes at my own individual expense and that's almost akin to like faith or religious discipline mm. and is the opposite of what we have in the west and i think it's a really cool idea yeah it is cool and mm. it obviously works for people you know like um the family unit as the ultimate good as opposed to the individual as the ultimate good is like a very well ingrained concept and frankly has been around longer than the individual as the ultimate good you know like because just tribalism uh is kind of like the our natural state anyway i think um yeah i really like that sort of stuff because i I personally vibes with my own sense of just leave people the fuck alone you know and let them do their own thing and that's like the best you can really do is nothing and just kind of let things (laughs) yeah exactly and that is so much better and it's just you know like (laughs) it would it would be a lot nicer if that was something that could happen which is even succeed eh? like i'm i'm sick of this shit start the fucking modern guild state yeah okay um well goodbye this is a good this is a good opportunity for us to uh plug our patreon which (laughs) we will use to uh one day fund our own state where um no one will be encouraged to speak to one another (laughs) and um all of you will work to fund uh the state which will be governed by the ideas we come up with in the podcast Mm. um so i do like that yeah Cool. One of our um, one of our dearest friends, uh, according to Damon, recently said that um, if we were to start a Patreon, he would subscribe because he feels like we are worth giving some dosh to. And I had the suspicion that we might be as well, and this has confirmed it. So there are <laughs> yeah. there's a whopping four people in existence now who have uh, given money to Modern Guilt uh myself damon and two more and i think that's the seed of something (laughs) yeah so um starting in december we're gonna be on patreon uh we're gonna be charging five dollars a month uh for access to a bonus episode um and we'll reinvest all that money back into what we're doing um in order to further promote the free shit so we'll probably implement um some additional tears later down the line if you Mm. want to feel as though you're getting more for more money which i guess is how products work (laughs) but uh yeah that's that did i cover that well damon does that make sense yeah i mean like 90 percent of that was just cut out while you're speaking but i feel like like everything i imagine you said um i'm on board with 
I caught like All little right, bits of great. it here and there. I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's nailing it. Well, I don't um, even have to hear you talking to know that that went well. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're the only person in the world that has that sort of irrational confidence in me. So, thank you. Well, I mean, that's why yeah, this podcast no, works, so, man. Um, yeah, what um, I did here. So, yeah, we're going to be putting out extra episode um, that you can get, which is going to be hella dope. And we'll kick it off next month. So, mm-hmm. or yeah, effectively whenever next month, I feel. Yeah, no, what, next month next is week. good. Uh, yeah, it's like a, yeah. a Christmas miracle. Yeah, it will be. That's, yeah. So, you know, you can uh, mm-hmm. help us buy, we're not buying Christmas presents. We're just going to put all the money back to the pot. <laughs> well, it'll be a Christmas presents for the pod. <laughs> Christmas uh, presents for the pod, exactly. To help yeah, fund uh, our way to um, hiring some Russian disinformation assets. Yes. You know. um, and eventually our own island state yeah um all right well let's wrap it up if you have any thoughts or questions about anything that we talked about in this episode hit us up on instagram at modern guilt pod email us modern guilt pod at gmail.com we're on twitter i am dos to the dos i think Mm. or you can hit at guilt underscore modern because we still haven't track down the motherfucker who has our handle yeah uh, yeah so we'll i'm sporadically we'll on there every now and again so hit me up and i'll be on there more but um i take breaks because twitter rots the inside of my mind yeah no uh, it does for better or worse yeah. so it's all right, right. let's call it anyway. a day thanks for listening subscribe share it with your friends leave a review all that shit peace out take, see you next take week the, uh, Don't let the world get you down. Bye-bye.